Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Hello, Jamie here. If you've been enjoying the podcast and want to show your support, I have a brand new Patreon page and signing up will grant you access to the Right and Wrong Discord server, where you can interact directly with many of the authors, agents and editors who have been guests on the show. You can also interact with me and see what guests are coming up so you could maybe suggest questions that I could ask them. Thanks again for listening. And I really do appreciate any and all support that you guys give me for the podcast. Let's get back to it. So our podcast is called Right and Wrong. (laughs) Are these your notes? Are these your notes about what we're going to say? Uh, anything. It's a short answer. <laughs> so how many novels did you not finish? Oh my from? God, so many. <laughs> it was perfect. What are you talking about? This is nonsense. Ooh, a spicy question. I love it. <laughs> this is it, guys. The big secret to getting published is you have to write a good book. Yeah. <laughs> you had it here first. <laughs> Hello and welcome back to the Right and Wrong podcast. In this week's episode, I'm very lucky to be joined by Vanessa Fox O'Loughlin, who is the founder of writing.ie, the Inkwell Group, um, a fellow of the Royal Society for the Encouragement of Arts and a board member of the Society of Authors. But many people will also know her as number one best-selling crime author, Sam Blake. Hi, Vanessa. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Jamie. Thank you so much for having me. It's my absolute pleasure. And th- th- there's so many things <laughs> that you've done. Just doing my research, like in preparation for you to come on, I was sort of a little bit mind boggled by the amount of things that you are doing, have done, and 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 probably will do. So let's um, let's start with with something simple. Uh, so, some recent news, which is uh, your your newest novel, the the mystery of four, came out fifth um, of January. How's how's your elevator pitch for it? How's my elevator pitch? Well, it's a country house <laughs> mystery set in the Wicklow Mountains in Ireland. And it features uh, a girl called Tess Morgan who buys a house called Kilfenora. This is going to be a long elevator pitch. I should, <laughs> I, should I, I talk to authors all the time about me trying to get their one line together yeah. so in case they get in the lift with Stephen King. But uh, yeah, so she, basically it's a book set in the Wicker Mountains. Tess buys this country house called Kilfenora and um, she spent two years restoring it. And we meet her at the on the Monday before the grand opening weekend. So we've got the week to, week to go. She's got one week left. Um, she's planning all sorts of things. And um, the first thing that happens to her is a journalist gets in touch to tell her that he thinks a body has been um, hidden on her property. So that's the first thing that goes wrong. Um, but really it goes downhill from there because bodies start popping up all over the place. Oh gosh, it's not what you want. No, exactly. It's not not, not quite what she <laughs> planned. She was she was thinking, looking forward to sort of... Um, you know, vintage car rally and a craft market and children running up to the ice cream van to get their ice creams. And she's more worried now that she's going to have guard of crime scene tape and uh, TV <laughs> cameras all over the place. Amazing. Well, a great setup, uh, a great setup for, uh, for, for, for a novel. And it hit, uh, it hit the number one spot on the Eason's Top 100, right? It did. And it got to number one. Actually, I managed to outsell Prince Harry in one oh, shot. Oh, nice. Dunleary. <laughs> in in Dobre Books in Dunleary, I outsold Prince Harry. So I have a, a 
picture to remind me of that forever. <laughs> well, very, very well done. Um, and is that, this is your, am I right in thinking it's the eighth book that yeah, you Yeah, this is published? the eighth one. It's the seventh one in print. I've got one that's just in digital, the one we mentioned actually before we came on, um, High yeah. Pressure, which is uh, Kindle, Kindle and audio only. Okay, okay, okay. So the eighth book out and um, two more on the way? Yeah, definitely. I've got um, Something Terrible Happened Last Night, which is my YA debut coming in May. Um, And that's going to be, that's very exciting. Um, And then my 2024 book is um, done and dusted. It hasn't been edited yet, but it's written. And um, that's about a facial reconstruction expert. Oh, cool. That's a new take. A bit more forensic, a bit more back to, it's not procedural yeah. in the same way that the first three books were procedurals, but it's um, a new character, um, lots of lovely forensic stuff. I'm really interested in forensics. Oh, cool. Like you said, very exciting. Your first young adult novel. Can you, can you tell us anything about it? Yes, I can indeed. It's called um, Something Terrible Happened Last Night. And it's set in an elite girls boarding school in Ireland. Um, it's a good, good a day and boarding school. So there's people coming and going. Um, and basically, it's a there's a party. It's Katie's 17th birthday party. Her parents have gone away for the weekend, uh, which is never a good thing. <laughs> and uh, the party gets out of control. There's a huge fight uh, between rival rugby teams from two different schools. Um, and when Katie's friends come back, when the, the house is cleared and um, they get rid of everybody, and when Katie's friends come back to help her clear up, um, they discover that there's a body behind the sofa. Oh, okay. So um, first YA, but I, it feels like you are sort of um, leaning into the strengths that you, you have from all of the crime novels that you've written previously. Very much so, yeah. No, it's definitely stead in crime. And I've got a couple of 16, the characters in it are 16, sort of 17. And mm. I have a couple of 16-year-old characters in previous books. So Remember My Name features a great girl called Emily Jane. And um, she has quite a big part in that book. Um, and then previously I had in one of the um, Cat Connolly books, there was a 16-year-old as well. So I, I, it was an age group I felt very comfortable writing and really enjoyed writing. Um, and yeah, I absolutely love doing it. It's a whole different, a lot of different sort of ways of doing things much much bigger cast so the mystery of four has quite a big cast it's got a big cast in some of the other books i've written because it's set in a village and it has an amateur dramatic society theme going through it so there's quite a lot sure. of people in it um but when you're writing ya and it's a school you need to give that sense of you know the, the school i suppose environment so you're you're yeah it's a lot more characters okay okay so you it sounds like you've kind of been leaning towards maybe doing something YA for a while now uh, with your previous books. Do you think you'll do some more YA after this one? Yeah, I'm actually literally writing the next one now. Ah. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's two book contract. So um, yeah, the next one's coming up um, and it's about um, the same, similar characters. Um, yeah, same same three, core three, um, but from one of slightly different points of view. Um, so yeah, I love it. It's good. It's nice. It's nice to write. There are a bunch of girls who are feisty and sort of little see themselves being a detective so um that's really yeah what it's all about okay sounds great so that'll be book nine yeah um and then book 10 on in 2024 it's called uh, three little birds so it's got a title oh very that's good facial reconstruction one yeah i did like bob marley yeah been doing loads of uh loads of research on that to try and get make sure that right again another one I enjoyed writing I think it's I really enjoy stretching myself with each book and trying to do something a bit different um so mystery of four is very much playing into the sort of trying 
the golden age and I was really interested in Agatha Christie and lock room mysteries and mm-hmm. trying to get a sense of um maybe something a bit more cozy um remember my name which is the previous book is very urban and gritty and it's about cyber security um and blackmail and all sorts of exciting things um so the mystery of four is a complete contrast from that um and yeah and then the, the YA is a contrast again and then we move on to the the forensics girl Carla Steele Dr Carla Steele um mm. And yeah, so they're, they're each one is different, but it's what I'm trying to do is, I suppose, grow as a writer. So hopefully I can, the voice is the same and the twists are the same. Um, and so my readership will hopefully come with me, but I can, you know, really enjoy each one. Did, yeah, I was going to say, does that really in, sort of inspire you while you're writing it by having a sort of new place or a new sort of area of of stuff to research? Yeah, definitely. I think, and standalones are interesting. When you write series, my first three books were a police procedural series um, featuring a guard, featuring a guard called Cat Connolly. Um, and when you write a series, it's it's like I suppose going down to the pub with a bunch of friends because you know everybody really well. Um, and each of those characters has to have obviously their own character arc, and each story has its arc. And then the trilogy has an arc as well um but you're what you're really doing is you you do really know everybody so you're sort of applying plot each time and and trying to ramp up with that um but with the standalones everything's totally different yes a different location new characters new story um and trying to be original trying to make sure that um each one is absolutely different that they they are um they're different stories it's quite it's most well, not easy but you can fall into a, fall into a trap of things being a bit too similar um especially i have a lot of female characters in my books and they tend to be all quite strong women yeah. um so mystery four features clarissa westmacott who is um a, a much more mature lady than i've written before um so yeah you're trying to trying to make things a bit different each time Oh, okay. And and, and that ke- yeah, keeps it interesting for you, keeps it interesting for the readers. Absolutely. Well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And you mentioned that you you're always trying to grow with each book. You're kind of trying to trying to go slightly out of your comfort zone to to learn something new, I imagine. Yeah. Do you feel, you know, looking back to when you you you, you wrote your first books, the the procedurals, do you, do you feel like the way that you approach the writing, the way that the kind of books come out is, has changed a lot since then? Yeah, it has actually. That's a good question. Because when I first started writing, I'm, a, I'm quite one of these organized people who I used to really like plotting and planning a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Little Bones, which was the first um, book, um, was really was plotted in a really, really detailed way. I've, I've sort of developed a way of um, plotting. I have this sort of grid system, which is sort okay. of uh, in columns, and each chapter is a column, and there's sort of six, 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 um, up to usually around 30 when I start out, which is mad because I never have 30 chapters in any book. It's usually about 75, but at least it gives me the structure, basic structure. So I'd start off with that and certainly – So if the chapters are columns, what are the rows – there are, oh, they're just sort of just chapter one, and then underneath is just a blurb as to what goes into each chapter. Oh, um, okay, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. So not so much, yeah. So it's not really a grid system as such. But, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, as I say, they grow. So I start off like that. And Little Bones would, would have been a very, very detailed one with you know different colours for different characters, so I could see the flow and who came in where and who went out where and all that type of thing. Um, and as I've progressed. Um, I think I'm plotting less. I, I need to know what happens. So I know what the reveals are and I know what the big issues are. But I suppose I'm writing much more instinctively. I think I've probably learned that I can write instinctively, if you like, and I can trust the process. Yeah. Um, and so I have a, a, a much briefer outline and I might outline the first, say, 10 chapters to see where I'm going. Um, if I'm not sure about a book and I'm not sure about a story, then I'll 
do a lot more detail planning and I'll try and get the 30 chapters down because I've had a couple where I did have one in this before I actually wrote Mystery of Four. I started a book um, and I had it plotted out, but it, it, I didn't, it didn't, wasn't really a whole book. It was a good idea, but it needed a bit more to make it work. And it really, I didn't feel it was working. So I think I wrote about 10,000 words of that and then gave up. Um, and then I had the, the Mystery of Four idea was much, was sort of burning at that point. So I went on to that one. Um, so it's a good test to see whether something's actually going to work as a book. Um, but certainly in terms of say the kids book now I've plotted out the start of it and the same it was the Carla Steele book was the the facial reconstruction one was really the one where I really changed because I got to chapter five in that having plotted it out and decided at chapter five that the woman I was going to kill I really liked and I felt the reader would like and therefore she couldn't die and therefore that made nonsense of everything else I'd written in my plan Mm. um so and I didn't really want to go back in this was an extra book I wrote in lockdown so I wasn't under contract or anything I was sort of testing myself I suppose and um I didn't want to go back in and spend eight hours and hours plotting out again. So I just kept writing really. Um, and it all, when it worked, I mean, it, it did need more editing at the end and playing around and fixing bits, but um, I really, I enjoyed that part of the process. So as I say, yeah, like it's growing with each one. I see. So do you think for the, is it very much dependent on, on a sort of story by story basis or, or do you think for the next one you will go much lighter on the planning and just kind of let it be more free um the next adult one um yeah i'm is is less planned um mm. i've got some detail i'm really i want to really take that up a notch so um i'm going to yeah i will be planning it out a bit i think i'm not sure actually i have to wait and see until <laughs> we'll i get see. stuck into it okay so and and um talking about you know first to to most recent novels going back a bit further is writing always something that you you've wanted to do since you were since you were younger yeah I think I think I always knew I'd write a book I didn't Mm -hmm. ever think that I couldn't or that I wouldn't um it was just something I thought I'd do but I never even I didn't really think about it wasn't burning inside me or anything it was just one of those things I would do at some point um I always loved creative writing in school I was a massive massive reader um and I'm very creative generally in lots of different ways. Um, you know, I did art, art school and all the rest of it. So I think I always thought I would. And then what really happened was my husband went sailing across the Atlantic for eight weeks. Um, I'd moved to Ireland and settled down here and it was November. Um, and um, so I had some very, very long, dark evenings to fill. Um, no kids then. So I was on my own here, with me, me and the cats. Um, mm-hmm. And I had an idea and I just thought, well, now's the time to write it. So literally started writing that down longhand at the time because I didn't even have a computer at home um and I was going into the office I was working for an event management company then I went in the office into the office at the in the evenings and at weekends and stuff to type it up um and by the time he got back like the bug had absolutely bitten and he bought me a laptop for Christmas and that was <laughs> I think it was pretty much the last he ever saw of me amazing so, so was did you did you kind of feel a moment during that where you 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 something kind of switched in you and you thought you know I'm actually really going to I'm going to give this a go I'm going to really try and take my writing to the next level and, and maybe get published yeah I mean I think I start when I started off writing I didn't know it was hard to, I didn't know anything about publishing I didn't yeah. know it was hard to get published I thought you just wrote <laughs> a book and then you sent it out and then people published it and that's how it worked yeah, yeah and, I, most uh, people do yeah, I think a lot of people think that so yeah you know, I made all the rookie mistakes, finished the first draft. I mean, it was a terrible book. I mean, the first half was definitely terrible. The second half, I know there was a point where I, it started to take off and come together and um, 
it was really I think it definitely stepped up um but it was pretty terrible so it I mean and definitely should never be published so I was I sent it out everywhere absolutely convinced it was going to be the next bestseller and um obviously it was rejected absolutely everywhere but the thing was a bug had bitten at that point and I think when you discover the magic of writing you know when you put your head down to start on something and it's 12 o'clock and you look up and it, and it's four o'clock in the afternoon and you've no yeah. idea where the time has gone um that you can't I think it becomes addictive you can't stop so <laughs> I yeah, just kept yeah. going really um <laughs> and I'm a positive thinker so obviously I decided I'd written a bestseller so it was going to happen um and it was just a case of just keeping going until it did happen um and but it, I mean it took a long time it took what 15 years I think and along the way I had to learn the craft because I didn't realize there was all these techniques that I didn't know uh when I yeah. started out um and so I set up something called Inkwell which was um writers workshops actually primarily to learn how to write myself I wanted to hear from best-selling authors and <laughs> there was nothing out there that suited me so I started my own workshops and they were hugely useful because I mean even today when I'm interviewing authors I learn something new every single time I listen to somebody speak mm-hmm. um you know whether it's Joanne Harris or Linwood Barclay or I was chatting to Lisa Jewell at um Murder One my festival there um back in October and you learn something every time and there's a little ping in your head and it's like, oh, yes, that's really interesting. And then you, you're able to use those and develop your process. Um, I think that's something else people don't explain when you start out, that creativity is unique. And that's, I mean, that's why all our books are different and all our voices are different. But that yeah. means our process is going to be different too. And yes. learning what works for you and sort of, I suppose, mining from all the others out there, the bits that work for them and that then will work for you and creating your own process is really important in that mix. Yes, exactly. It's all about finding the thing that works for exactly. you. Because there's, um, is it, I think George R. R. Martin describes it as architect writers and gardening writers, which is basically a fancy way of saying pantsers and plotters. Exactly. But, uh, he's, yeah, he's brilliant. I yeah. Went to an interview with him, and it was one of the best author interviews I've ever been at in my life. He's oh, an amazing really? man. When was that? It was in. Um, he won. He was awarded the International Recognition Award by the Irish Book Awards, uh-huh. and they had a private um, event in um, the GPO, our General Post Office in O'Connell Street. Um, and it was really interesting, actually, because it was um, the. It's, we're going back into Irish history here now, but um, at one point. Um, in Irish history, the in the 1920s, the um, it was attacked by the British, and there was a sort of standoff in the in the post office. And mm. um, I'm cutting Irish history. Anybody who's listening now who's <laughs> Irish will be be shoot, trying to shoot me down because obviously I'm British. I'm cutting Irish history really short. But you know, George. The whole point of this is that George R. R. Martin described it as being like being in the Alamo, um, which was just amazing. Um, oh. So it was just yeah, it's an incredible, incredible building and incredible interview. It was great. Oh, very cool. Well. Getting back to you, um, we were talking about your your kind of when you when you first got that bug and you and you then you started sort of uh, throwing yourself into the sort of publishing world by creating Inkwell and uh, and other things like that. What at what point in the in that process did you end up signing with your your agent Simon Truen? So Simon, I met um, through an event. Um, I, I basically yeah, set up Inkwell, set up writing.ie, I think at that point, and um, was doing working a lot with different agents and um, different publishers um, and scouting for, for the authors who were on my sort of network. Um, and so I'd placed an awful lot of um, different books of different people and I really understood the business. So 
um, there was an event at the Mountains to Sea Festival in Dunleary and Simon was invited to come and speak at it um, and do like a, a one-to-one agent clinic um, and with another guy, Bill Swainson from Bloomsbury. And they, they realised while that everybody was busy talking, they were doing sort of one-to-ones with everybody that the rest of the group needed somebody to talk to. So that's when they brought me in to talk about the Irish publishing industry and how it all works um, from that end. Um, and that's how I met Simon originally. So uh, he met me sort of as a publishing professional as opposed to a writer. And it wasn't until um, probably a couple of years later that um, we met for coffee in, in London and um, we were talking about uh, scouting and different bits and pieces. And I had a copy of one of Alex Barkley's books on the coffee table. And I, he said, oh, you know, you're reading Alex Barkley. And I said, oh, yeah, she's been very influential on my writing because it was her grid system for plotting that I've stolen and adapted for myself. Um, and um, and he said, oh, do you write? And I said, yes. And I thought to myself, I've obviously, my communication skills are obviously extremely poor here that we haven't, I'm with, you know, sitting here with one of the biggest agents in London and I haven't managed to communicate that <laughs> I'm an aspiring writer too. Um, but he asked me about the book and it was Cat Conley, it was The Little Bones. Um, it wasn't called Little Bones then, but, you know, I said to him, it's about a guard who finds uh, the bones of a baby hidden in the hem of a wedding dress. And he said, oh, I'd like to see that. And I then was, oh, I thought, oh, my goodness me, I'm going to have to send him this. I hadn't looked at it for a good, a good while at that stage. <laughs> I've been busy doing other things. Yeah. And um, it was a bit terrifying, to be honest. I thought if I send it to him and he hates it, is my entire credibility as a, as a scout and everything else going to be blown out the water? So, yeah, I read it over very hurriedly and he was texting me saying where is it where is it where is it and sent it over and he really liked it thank goodness um amazing i found a home for it uh, mark smith and bonnier was had founded bonnier at that point it was in its early days um also loved it they had lunch together and it was sold by you know two o'clock in the afternoon so um i uh, yeah so we found me a publisher it was great it's great oh wow what a what a what a lovely little uh, little story as well oh it's mad isn't <laughs> you guys it? I know. Met. And you know, you obviously known each other for a long time as well. At yes, that point. long, long time. Oh, that's so nice. And you and uh, uh, Simon do a Facebook Live series every week called "Winning the the Writing Game." Fridays at twelve. For anyone listening, it's really, really, uh, really, really interesting. You guys get a lot of amazing guests on there. I was watching the episode you did with um, Owen Colfer recently. Oh yeah, that's hilarious, isn't it? The postman calls at the door and you have to run <laughs> off the computer. Yeah, we did that during lockdown. So that's really um, something that we did when everybody was stuck at home. Yeah. Um, we haven't done one for ages. I'll have to do another one soon. Um, but there's some great interviews on there. Yeah, you know, when I, when I was talking about um, learning something new, um, you really do literally listen to people. Um, Owen's, yeah, Owen's hilarious. Yes, yeah, he's a very funny man. And Artemis Fowl was extremely influential on me when I was uh, when when I was younger. I wasn't really into Harry Potter, but Artemis Fowl uh, reached me in a way that that uh, other books didn't. That's amazing. No, he's an amazing writer, and he's a lovely, lovely person too. So yeah, just for anybody who's um, listening, basically we were doing the interview, and Owen's postman called, and so he picked <laughs> up his laptop because we were doing a Zoom, and picked up the laptop and trotted off to the, to the door and answered the door and was chatting to his postman <laughs> while we were broadcasting. That was hilarious. It was very funny. <laughs> uh, these things happen. That's the that's the wild lockdown life, isn't Absolutely. it? Absolutely. <laughs> um, I do want to ask, uh, because it's always interesting when people have, and I, it almost seems like something that's going out of fashion is having pen names. I think probably because we're all so used to the internet and just having all of our kind of information on the internet. But uh, um, I, I did want to ask, um, what, why did you decide to, to write under a pen name? 
Why did I? That's another good question. Um, well, you, Jamie, I think are the first person I have met who managed who's managed to pronounce O'Loughlin correctly. Who does not have <laughs> Irish? Who is not you know coming from this island? Okay. Um, so yeah, one of the big issues is having a name that nobody can pronounce. Um, uh, like it's fine here, but literally in the UK, people get to the O and then they freeze because they don't know how the GH works, um, and all sorts of things happen. So yeah, and Vanessa Fox O'Loughlin is my full name, and it's because there's another Vanessa O'Loughlin here just to confuse things. Um, who's also a journalist and. Um, Obviously, if we're both in writing, it gets in a bit of a muddle. Um, and yeah, so I'll, I'll just, <laughs> people used to come up to me and they'd say, goodness me, I really enjoyed that article you wrote about kayaking down the Amazon. And I'd look at them thinking, do I look like somebody who kayaked down the Amazon? So anyway, that was the other <laughs> Vanessa O'Loughlin. So we were always being mixed up um, when I first got into the writing business. And um apart from the, the name being unpronounceable and very long and not fitting on a cover. There were all of these reasons why <laughs> a pen name seemed like a good idea. Um, but one of the biggest ones is that um, there's this theory, which has been substantiated now, I think, with, with a bit of research, that um, men don't buy crime novels written by women. Um, uh. And so having an androgynous first name is a big advantage um, in this game. Um, and yeah, with a name like mine, um, it seemed sensible um, for all of those reasons to come up with a pen name. So yeah, we, we it took us a long time, but we came up with Sam Blake. Oh, okay. I, I was thinking, I was wondering if it was a deliberate choice to have a, a, a name that was not gendered. Yeah, exactly. No, it totally is. And um, also then I think when you're coming up with your own name, um, I was speaking to a librarian last night actually in an interview and um, we were talking, I was saying the B is very handy because you're on eye, you're at eye level um, on most bookshelves and at the start. And um, certainly in Ireland, I'm, I can often be between say Binchy and um, Benjamin Black, which is a nice place to be too, maybe Binchy. Oh. So, um you, you know, you, you're thinking about everything when you're thinking about a pen name. Um, and she was laughing because she said that um, in when she's she's obviously a librarian, she was saying that if S is the thing that most most people's surname seems to start with S. So if you're an S, this is a good tip for anybody who's thinking of having a pen name. Um, there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of books in the S section. So it's very easy to get lost. Um, so I thought that was that was really interesting. Um, so, yeah, you can, you can pick it out and choose where you're going to be. Wow. I'd not realized the the layers that that went behind pen names like that yeah well that's, that's so i'm one of these people that overthinks everything <laughs> so it's, but yeah no it's interesting and then obviously lots of googling to make sure there's not somebody else with the same name yeah. um or you know that you're not going to get confused uh, with another author um so yeah lots of checking yeah no that's that's so interesting I, i'd not even thought about choosing the first letter of your surname as as a sort of gauge of where you'll be placed on the bookshelf because yeah, I, yeah I, I imagine that there's some authors who just because of their name are often not placed in the, the best possible spot well this is it yeah, i mean it, depends, <laughs> it does depend on the shelf but you know certainly yeah, I think if i was a z i'd be fairly near the end on the floor and not everybody gets down on their knees in a bookshop in a bookshop so yeah um it's it's good to be uh, you know if you do have the choice to be able to take all these things into account we need someone to go and do the data and, and take an average of all bookshelves in all bookshops and find out where the where the exactly. best letters well, are. Well, this is what the thing about the S was so interesting from coming directly yeah. from a librarian who clearly had been shelving lots of books by authors that start whose names start with S. Fascinating. Yeah, that is so interesting. Amazing. Well, before we before we we do get on to the to the final question, um, always like to ask uh, people who have been in publishing and writing for, for a long time is, is what advice 
do you have for any writers listening who are trying to break into the publishing industry for the first time? Uh, well, the best advice I was ever given was on the writing side, um, and that was just keep writing. Yeah. A friend of mine, Sarah Webb, who's written about 40 or 50 books at this stage, um, told me way back in the day, just keep writing, because I think with every word you write, you get better, basically. It's, it is a learning process. And once you get the writing right, um, and that's all working, then it's about the plot and about you know what happens in the book and making sure that it's the best that that can be as well. Um, so that's really important. Um, and then just don't give up, you know, just the thing about writing and um, publishing and finding an agent and finding a publisher and all those things is that books are really subjective. You know, we all read books that we don't necessarily like that much. Um, and the same applies to the industry in terms of people buying books. They need to love it. They need to be that that person that loves it um, in order for your book to land. So, um, you know, it's and it's not personal. It's, you know, if you get do get rejected, it's not something, it's not you being rejected. It's just the work. And it can be rejected for hundreds of reasons that are to do with the market and to do with length and to do with, you know, trends and all sorts of things that you have no control over. So just keep going. That's the best advice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, it's something I, I hear a lot is just persevere, keep doing it. Remember that you're doing it because you love writing. That's and, it. You uh, have to love it. I mean, that's yeah. the thing. You spend so long doing it, so many hours doing it, that it's that it's the creating and it's the, the you know, working out the story and putting the words on the page. That's the bit you need to really, really love it because yeah, it, it take, could take a while. <laughs> <laughs> it's always going to be a labor of love. Exactly. And, 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 uh, like, like you mentioned, I mean, it takes years to become an overnight success. It really does. Yeah. Industry, did so. me. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Well, that brings us to the final question of the episode, which as always is Vanessa, if you were stranded on a desert Island, but could take a single book with you, which would it be? It would be Rebecca by Daphne du Maurier. It's oh, a- absolutely yeah. my favorite book. And it's wonderful. It's multi-layered. It's a romance. It's a thriller. Uh, it's got clever twists. It's got absolutely everything. And it's one of those books where every time I go back and read it, I see more, you know, symbolism and imagery hidden in the text. Um, yeah. I absolutely love it. Yes. I think uh, Justin Myers also picked Rebecca yeah. and then didn't have good things to say about the film adaptation that came out recently. Yeah, it's, yeah, there's some interesting. Well, I've been watching film adaptations. I watched, um, what was it, The Orient Express the other day, and that was quite an interesting take oh, too. So the new yeah. one, yeah, the Ken Branagh one, Ken Branagh one, yes, yeah, yeah. I it, it didn't really feel necessary to me because I I loved the first one, <laughs> yeah, the older one. But I don't um, know what it was, I don't know if it was all done in one set and it felt like it was in a studio. I think the I don't know. It was yeah, it was interesting. There were some fantastic people in it, but I think it felt yeah. I felt like it missed a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I feel like when when you're someone who loves books, though, if any book is ever made into a film, it's so rare that that you, you're not you you wouldn't say, oh, but they missed so many details. Oh, they missed, you know, it's not yeah. how I pictured it. It's not. It's never yeah. as good. <laughs> yeah, but it's you know, how do you fit six hours into two? Which well, indeed, I was reading and your imagination, <laughs> and then into Havilon. Yeah. Yeah, 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 exactly. And uh, and how can they compete with with your own imagination? Well, that's it. Yeah, and you know, when you're at home with a book and you, you it's just in your head, um, it's um, it's a whole different thing. That's a, that's a really interesting point, though, as well. Actually, um, Anne Cleves talking about nuggets of gold from authors. When Anne Cleves was here for Murder One, she was one of the things she point made she made about was leave room for the reader. And yeah. I thought that's really interesting. And that is, you know, that's the thing you can't do in film. You don't leave any room for, you have to have it. It's all there in front of you. But with, with writing, you have to leave room for the reader. Um, yeah. Cause it's, 
it's almost a collaboration at a certain point between the reader and the writer. It really is. It is, you know, because you're playing on lots of things that are, you don't know what who they are or what's going on in their head, and they're and they're drawing different strands from your story. So yeah, no, it is very. That's yeah. really good advice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Amazing. Well, well, thank you so much, um, Vanessa, for for coming on and um, sharing all of your your experiences as as a writer and uh, and a sort of uh, a publishing professional and advocate of the the written word. It's been really lovely chatting. Thank you so much for having me. And for anyone listening, if you want to keep up with uh, all of the things that Vanessa is doing, you can follow her on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Sam Blake Books. And uh, definitely check out the uh, award-winning writing resource, writing.ie, and the other things happening over at Inkwell. Um, head over to, to Vanessa's website, samblakebooks.com, where you can get a free book just for signing up to the Reader's Club. Um, to make sure you don't miss an episode of this podcast, follow us on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook. And if you're after more bookish story discussion, then check out my other podcast, The Chosen Ones and Other Tropes. Thanks again, Vanessa, and thanks to everyone for listening. We'll catch you in the next episode. You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply.